Well, I want to say good morning again. Those of you who weren't in the Bible class and joined us uh, downstairs or other places, it is a real joy to be with you all. I'm looking forward to our four days together. I'm really glad Kim is here and y'all have already made her welcome and appreciate all of that. Um, As I mentioned in Bible class time, I've been given a specific um, assignment and we're going to talk about elders in local churches and churches work with elders and so forth. We'll we'll uh, do a little bit more of that here just in a minute. But I do want to say that that all of this subject reflects in in a in a different way God's love and concern for our souls. Uh, shepherds in local churches are watchers. They're watching out for the welfare of those in their charge, and that reflects God's desire for. For Christians to to go to heaven and to grow to be what they ought to be and an influence in this world as they should, and so while we are going to be talking about elders, I I I do want to say for all of us to be thinking about our our personal relationship with our Savior and His love for us and what really is important in this life. That there are temptations and trials all around us, but we've got to hold on to the hand who loves us. We've got to keep our eyes going in the right direction. There, there is nothing more important than things like that. So we'll be, we'll be talking about things that contribute to that, but we never want to lose, lose focus. And, and for all of us, our, our prayer has been already and, and will continue to be that these four days together just help us be who God wants us to be. If I can be of any help to you, Privately, Kim and I can be of any help. We're available and we're at your service and we'll help in any way we can. But may may God bless all of us to grow to be the people he wants us to be, to love him more deeply, to serve him more faithfully. And hope we can help move us in that direction even this morning. I want to tell you a little bit about um, my own background on this. I serve as an elder and I have served uh, for the last several years. I really... I didn't write down what year I began serving as an elder, and, and I don't remember exactly how many years it's been, but it's been several years. And But I, I've been been preaching for now over 40 years and started over here at Goochtown and lived in Eubank in a trailer right off of 27 on Highway 70. And, and so beginning at that time when there were elders at Goochtown until you know this very day, uh, the subject of Elders have been a part of my preaching. I mean, it's part of the Bible's teaching, and for really important reasons, God's it's part of God's plan. And and so preachers talk about that, and and, and I have, and I have uh, helped appoint elders. And one occasion, I was called to another congregation to preach and speak and help them formally on that very day ordain elders, and I participated in that. I know I watched as uh, problems within an eldership uh, resulted in the a large congregation losing their eldership all at one tragic time. I watched that happen. I've seen elders uh, announce their resignation one at a time, and sometimes unannounced. Nobody knew what was going on. Very hurtful. Shocking to a, a congregation. And there are a lot of different ways to appoint elders. And I've set in on business meetings and 
offered my two cents on how do you do this? What is the right process? What, what, will, what can a congregation do to appoint elders and do that in such a way that really sets them off on the right foot and, and encourages them and helps them know they've got the support of the congregation and, and, uh, and the congregation is happy and excited and blessed for all. You know, I've thought about all that too. Made a lot of mistakes and watched mistakes happen and watched good men repent and congregations heal. And I've also been blessed to be able to see the difference between a congregation without elders. And I've worked with congregations without elders and for a long time and watched how the work goes under those circumstances. And then I've con- been able to contrast that with what happens when there are a con- conscientious elders who understand they're answerable to God in regards to people's souls and in regard to the Lord's work. And I've watched how that, how that church does its work. And I've thought about how that goes in comparison with a church where there are no elders and how that work goes, and there's a difference. And the difference is, helps me to see why God ordained elders to be in local churches. So anyway, I kind of come from all of that. I mean, in Bible class time, I asked for a show of hands about different aspects of elders, and, and I, I'm talking to people who know about elders too. And you have your experience with them, and, and uh, you see the need for good, qualified, and godly elders. I keep praying for that, and as we talked in Bible class this morning, keep a mind that uses the gifts God's given you. And keep stepping forward and going where you've not gone before. Because you have faith in God and you know what He wants. And that's the way you live your life. And that's the way you'll take your last breath. You keep living like that. This church will have elders and deacons. There will be godly children, godly families. And this work will go like God wants it to. But only when we have this mind to work like that. Okay, I can't... Go over that Bible class sermon again. But I I want to uh, talk this morning about the work of an elder. And I want to begin by telling you about the work of an astronaut. I didn't know much about it, although I used to want to be an astronaut. I thought that would be really cool to be way up there and see the world from a different point of view. And I learned later on that in order to be an astronaut, you had to be between 5 foot 4 and 6 foot 4. So I qualified. Five foot four to six foot four. You have to have a scientific college degree, a degree in a scientific field. You have to have more than 1,000 hours, logged hours of jet time in order to be an astronaut. You have to be scuba certified. You have to go through one to two years of intense training. And then you have a week-long interview, an intensive Week-long interview, and at the end of all of that, there is no guarantee that you'll ever be an astronaut. And do you have any idea, I mean, I, I suspect you do, but let me just ask the question. Do you have any idea why those qualifications are as they are? You probably do. These guys are, these astronauts are entrusted with millions of dollars of high-tech equipment, secret missions, defense Technology, research, I mean, they, they're, they're entrusted with the treasures of a country, 
way up there, and and the lives of people are at stake. And they and they and they land in the ocean. So they, I guess that's where the scuba certified comes in. I don't know. But you know, the point I'm trying to make is is that the qualifications standing alone may seem kind of odd. But they're not odd at all when they're connected with the work that an astronaut's supposed to do. In fact, make perfect sense. And they're necessary. These, these specific qualifications are absolutely necessary when we understand what the work of these guys is supposed to be. And it's the same thing with elders. I want you to look in your Bible with me, if you will, to 1 Timothy chapter 3. And I want us to read the first few verses of this chapter where the qualifications of elders are mentioned. And uh, maybe at first glance, someone might say, well, what an odd uh, combination of qualities that are mentioned here. Okay, that may, that may be your reaction to that. But when you realize what their work is, these these qualifications make absolutely sense. Every one of them. Scuba certified is not on here. We'll not read that one. But every one of these qualifications is as vital to the work of an elder as scuba certified is to an, to an astronaut. And you'll hear me say probably more than once that what God is asking us is not to find just good men. Not to find just good Christians and, and appoint them to be elders. Not, not somebody who uh, who is just inclined to be a volunteering kind of guy. And he sees there's a need for elders in the local church, and so he's a volunteering kind of guy, and so he says, I'll serve as an elder. That's not who the Lord's looking for. That's not who the Lord's looking for. Certainly not somebody who wants to enhance their resume, make themselves look, they just like to be in positions of power and influence that's not who they're looking for. And if there's somebody who thinks that if they are not considered as an elder, that they're, they're, they get some kind of personal slap in the face, and they feel offended, and they're bitter, and they sulk around because they just weren't, re- nobody or not enough people thought I was qualified to serve as an elder. That kind of guy ought not ever serve as an elder. Not ever serve as an elder. He's not qualified. He's not qualified because every one of the things that we're about to read are necessary. It's not a matter of picking and choosing. It's not a matter of glossing over them and speaking of them in some generic way. Every one of these qualities is necessary. And they're necessary because of the kind of work that God has given elders to do. And I'll tell you what you'll find out. If you do kind of gloss over some of these things, you're going to find that when the work comes, and, and it comes a really hard time, that there is a man who will show that he is not qualified to serve because there is a glaring need in his character for a quality that has been absent and, is, and was overlooked. All of these things are necessary. All right, so here's what it says. First Timothy chapter 3, in the context of Timothy being charged to set things in order, or to um, Titus was given that charge, but to bring things in, in the proper place in regard to local churches, part of his responsibility is discussed by Paul in chapter 3. And it says, beginning with verse 1, it is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, Hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, 
free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeps his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? And not a new convert, so that he will not become conceited or fall into condemnation incurred by the devil. He must have a good reputation with those outside the church, so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. And then turn over, turn back in your New Testaments to the book of Titus, and let's look at chapter 1. <clears throat> Titus chapter 1 and verse number 5. For this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Namely, if any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion, for the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not not fond of sordid gain, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. Okay, now, the Lord willing, tonight we'll talk about the qualifications um, given here. But I'll submit that we can only make sense of them, properly understand them, when we first understand the work that, that elders are charged to do. I say that against the backdrop of the illustration I gave just a moment ago about an astronaut. So turn to Acts chapter 20 and look with me at verse number 28 and then verse 31. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Here, of course, Paul is... Um, uh, traveling, and he meets with elders <clears throat> that he has known, worked with, loved. Uh, he's taught among them, and they're not going to see him again. These are the elders from the church at Ephesus. Acts chapter 20, verse 17 says, and Paul met them in Miletus as he was, uh, as he was traveling. And uh, the things that they talk about, things that Paul says about their relationship is just really, uh, you, you can see the closeness, you can, you can see what was invested uh, as they worked together. But my point right now is just ask you to look at verse number 28, where it talks about and lets us begin discussing the work of elders. Be on guard for yourself and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves men will arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. In verse 31, Therefore be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. Okay, the first thing I want to say about these uh, 
these elders, is that they were charged with taking care of something that belonged to somebody else. Now, the Bible word for that is, is steward. I don't use that word very much anymore, but I am familiar with the idea, I think we all are. These men, elders, understand that they are taking care of something that belongs to somebody else. In this case, verse 28 tells us that the church, this body of called out and redeemed people, called out of the world by the gospel, redeemed with the blood of Jesus, and now this they, they are a team, they are a family. And the elders have the responsibility of... Uh, Guarding the flock which is among them, overseeing these people. But these people belong, first of all, to God. And they show faithfulness in regard to stewardship by taking care of the people who belong to God. They don't, these people don't belong to the elders. They belong to God. And the elders are stewards. You you, you will need to think about that. We heard it talked about in in the qualifications. They know how to take care of what belongs to somebody else. They have proven that in their lives, and now they're bringing that ability to bear upon taking care of the people of God. They are faithful stewards. Belong to God. They're appointed by the Holy Spirit. The Beyond Guard, verse 28 says... Uh, for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. I understand His work, the Holy Spirit's work to be, uh, as He works in us and changes us and motivates us and builds us up through the Word that He has taught. And it's powerful. And He teaches us and trains us. we, We try to let Him do that in Bible class time this morning. To think about how we're supposed to live our lives as Christians. And so we walk by the Spirit. We're led by the Spirit. We live in the Spirit of God. And so the, the, these men who are serving are serving as ones who have been appointed by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So I'll call your attention to the shepherding work of these men. That, that term emphasizes the fact that they are feeding people. They are safeguarding and protecting and providing for others. They are to guard against danger. There are spiritual threats that come upon these people, upon the people of God. They are aware of that, and they are running point in that. That will be another term you'll hear me talk about. An elder's responsibility is to run point. I mean, somebody's got to be out there in the dangerous place. When I was a little boy and I watched cowboy movies, I remember the scouts who'd get on their horse and they'd go out there in front of the main group of settlers or soldiers that would later traverse the same path. And that scout out there, he ran point. That was a, that was a dangerous job. He went first. And there are a lot of times that elders' jobs is to, job is to run point. Somebody's, somebody's got to go first. Somebody's got to lead. Somebody's got to say, hey, it's time to get up and let's go. This is where God wants us to go, and we need to go there. And there's a danger with that. It's a risky business to run point. We'll have more to say about that later on.
but that they are they are shepherds of the people of God. Look over at Titus chapter one, or you can just recall it if you'd like. We read it just a moment ago, but Titus chapter one. I want to direct your attention to verse number nine, where the work of an elder is described as holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he'll be able to both exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. Okay, so first thing I want to say about the work of an elder from Titus chapter 1 is it's got to be personal. He's not just doing a job or, or fulfilling a duty, meeting a responsibility. No, such a person never, he won't last long. If it's that, it's personal. It's personal. And he never forgets that he's got to guard his own soul. He's got to feed his own soul. His own soul has to be attached to the Savior. And it's got to be clear. He's got to be focused. He's got to know what it's about. And he needs to pay attention to the welfare of his own soul. And then he is exhorting other people. Okay, that's, that's tough. I mean, we all know what it's like to move somebody, uh, let me start, to get into their lives, to walk into someone's life who may be comfortable right where they are. But where they are and where they're comfortable, it's not where they're supposed to be. And somebody's got, somebody's got to step in there and exhort and urge somebody to move from where they are to where God wants them to be. That's risky business too. Somebody might not want to move. Somebody may resent you from even trying. Who are you to step into my world and tell me what to do? But an elder's job is personal. And it is you step into the world of people and you urge them by the grace of God, by the exhortation of God, to move from point A to point, point B. You've got you to learn to do that well. What, is it, what qualifications does it take? To be able to do that. And then there are dangers, again, uh, these uh, false teachers come in. And, and so you've got to be able to use the truth. Not just know it, not just be a regular reader of it. But you've got to know how to defend it. And then use that truth to stop the advances of evil. Because you're, you're looking out for the welfare of people who might be influenced by that evil. And, they, and that takes a special... Uh, studying of the scriptures and, and the ability to use those scriptures in an, in a, in an offensive way against the evil and a defensive way to protect the flock. But, but Titus chapter 1 verse 9 acknowledges that there'll, there'll be those who will refute or, 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 or those who will contradict sound teaching and an elder's job is to refute them. So what, are the, what qualifications do you think the Holy Spirit would, would re- would require for a a man to serve as an elder given this kind of work and this kind of responsibility. He's got to deal with people. He's got to deal with people. He's got to talk to them. Sometimes at at uncomfortable moments and and uncomfortable, kind of unwelcome conversations. What, what, What does the Holy Spirit want an elder to be so that he can handle that in a way that would anticipate success. Then look at 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 5, verses 12 and 13. 
1 Thessalonians 5, verses 12 and 13. But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction, that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. Now, we'll be talking about a lot of the things said in those two verses, the Lord willing, Monday night. We talk about the relationship of a congregation to our elders. Things like appreciate them and love them and so forth. We'll talk about that later. But, but in terms of the, of the work given uh, to elders here, uh, they are to labor among you. And I understand that word uh, to suggest that you work to the point of exhaustion. And it's the kind of word that would be used to describe an Olympic athlete training for Olympic competition. They exhaust themselves because their focus is clear. They want to be a world champion. And so every day they get up and they, they go through the work that nobody else sees going on. They don't need to see it. They're, they're clearly, an elder is a man who exhausts himself for the welfare of others and to the service of God. And so if there is a man, good and godly man, who has come to, just for example, have come to retirement, and they want to just coast out. And they've worked hard, and they've, they've done what somebody else has told them to do all their life, and now they retire, and now they're going to do what they want to do. Okay. I don't know how that's going to work as a Christian. I got, you know, I got some questions about that. But I do want to say that it won't work as an elder. Because that guy's not willing to exhaust himself for the sake of other people. And an elder has to do that. He must be willing to uh, labor among them. They diligently labor among you. And an elder's got to be ready to do that. And, and, and to admonish people. To, to lay to the heart of someone, on someone, the truth that comes from God. So the work of an elder is not just to make sure the bills are paid, check attendance charts, make sure the teachers are teaching the Bible classes. No, uh, those kind of things need to be addressed and there's time for that. But that's sure not first. That's not even close to first. An elder's work is to affect the will of people. And there are a lot of parents here. Now, I'll just speak for you for a moment. You don't want your children just to do what you tell them to do. You want your children to want to do what you know is right. You want to affect their want to, their will. And your work as a parent is is not complete until you raise children who want to do the will of God. They love God, they trust God, and they obey God because they're standing on their own two feet doing so, not because they're doing what you want them to do. Yeah, that's what parents think. Elders are in the work of affecting the will of people. So it's not just a matter of get, you know getting them to church, make sure they, they're there when they're supposed to be. How do you get people to want to do what's right? 
I'll, I'm going to say about that, that's a hard job. It's a hard job. But that is the work that elders are to do. And so this being, you know, thinking about human nature, how do you talk to people, how do you work with people, how do you get them to want to do what's right, patience with them, time with them, study and prayer. I mean, all these things go together. That's the, that's the work that an elder needs to do. And so when we understand that kind of work and then go look at the qualifications, why well, we see he, he, he must be a patient man. If he's got a problem with his temper, he ought not serve as an elder. Because that, that area of uh, personal development is sure going to be tested. He can't be a, he can't be a new convert. Inclined to pride and, and frustration and things like that. No, he's gotta be. And the, the work, what he needs to be doing as a shepherd calls upon him to have other qualifications. The ones that are listed there. And then finally in 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 Peter chapter 5 verses 1 through 4. 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4. And we'll hear about these shepherds again. They're overseers and feeders and safeguarders of others. It's really interesting that the church is described as a flock with shepherds. And that's the picture of the working relationship between these two. Verse 1 of First Peter 5, Therefore I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the suffering of Christ and a partaker of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, not yet, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. I'll stop with verse number four. Let me just say um, here quickly that a shepherd realizes that he has a shepherd. A shepherd realizes that he has a shepherd. There is a a chief shepherd who is watching over. Who is trying to feed and guide and protect them too. And he gets his marching orders, the, the, the elder the shepherd, gets his marching orders from the chief shepherd. So he knows about love and patience and forgiveness and gentleness and exhortation. Knows all about that because he's, he's needed that himself. And he will always need those things. So he never forgets how the chief shepherd has, is handling him. And he takes that and he turns and he uses what has been shown to him to other people. To help them be who they're supposed to be. He is answerable as verse 4 says to the chief shepherd. But the shepherd doesn't drive people. You, you, you drive cattle, but you can't drive sheep. You lead sheep. And so uh, uh, this shepherd, uh, shepherds in a local congregation, they're to do the same. They're to lead. They have responsibility to teach and exhort and to deal with false doctrine and, and those kinds of things. But this passage emphasizes, points out most of all, that, that his influence in a local congregation is significant 
because of who he is. He is an example. He's not a perfect one. Philippians chapter 3 helps to remind us all that we, none of us have reached the, a spiritual mountaintop and a plateau in our development, and we are where we're, we're always anticipated to be, and now we just wait for death or the coming of Christ. That is just not the way to view a Christian's life. We're always pressing forward, and we're always in need of God's mercy and forgiveness and help. And so this shepherd is an example. He's not a boss. He's not an arm twister. He's not a pusher. But he leads by his example. And then Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7 and 17, they practice what they preach. They lead people through the word. They are um, people who are able to persuade others. They are persuaders of people. And so these passages that I've looked at, tried to look at rather quickly just kind of put before us the, the work that's to be done. And, I, and I've, I've, I've done that for two reasons. One is that, that that needs to be appreciated and understood and anticipated by a congregation. It's this kind of work that needs to be prayed for. This is God's plan. And we put it on the table and say, this is what God wants. This is what we are looking for. This is what we're moving to. But... This is, this is also the kind of work that helps us to appreciate the qualifications that need to be met in order for this kind of work to be done. Now, we'll talk about that more tonight, but I want to say just very briefly here in closing that an elder must be a man who never forgets the starting place, who never forgets what it's all about. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. As someone who's been raised up with Christ, you keep seeking the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And then in verse 4, it talks about Christ being our life. So an elder must be a man, like every other Christian, who, does, who, who doesn't forget what this is all about. And, and day by day, he is seeking things that are above. He's putting on Christ, and Christ is the very definition of his life. Philippians 3, verses 12 through 15 that I mentioned just a moment ago. He honestly looks in the mirror and sees every day that he is not an arrived man. But he is a man who is on a journey. And that helps him deal patiently with his own life and faithfully with God. But also to deal patiently and seriously with the imperfections of of other people who are on that same journey. May not have been on, been on that journey for as long as he has. But he is on the same journey, and that helps him to deal patiently and wisely and seriously with the issues that are involved in serving and living a life for the Lord. His home and his family are important. I mentioned a moment ago that he's a steward. And so he realizes that he's been given a wife and children as a gift from God, and he cares for them. And he has cared for them in such a way as to show his ability to guide people to heaven. A church can be confident that that this man will help guide them to heaven because he has shown in the things he has been entrusted with in his work as a steward that he has done that already. He handles money wisely and in a Godward way. He handles his job that way. He handles responsibilities to his parents in those ways. He is a faithful steward. He understands 
the responsibility of caring for what's been entrusted to him. He deals effectively with people. James chapter 1, verse 19, Let a man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. An elder must be a man who learns to listen well. Listen. The hard work that it takes to do that. So you understand not just what's said, but what's going on below the surface. He's a student of human nature. He tries to be wise in uh, moving and changing and motivating people. Learns how people think and to move them in a way that pleases God. And he must be skilled with the Scriptures. Romans 10 verse 17, faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And so it's personal with him and he realizes the value of this word in changing the lives of others. And he works hard to teach it well. And he's always at work trying to do this better because of the importance of the message that he is giving. And he knows how to face problems with poise and with seriousness and with love. Not as someone who just doesn't like conflict and so avoids conflict. That kind of man's a dangerous man, not a faithful, not a faithful steward. But he's not a man who goes around looking for a fight. But he's, he's ready to stand up for what's right because of the importance of what needs to be defended and the people whose, whose souls are at stake. So he's willing to, to stick his nose into a dangerous situation for what's necessary. So however inclined he, he may be to want to avoid conflict, he must have the, the backbone and the spirit of Christ in him to stand where he's supposed to stand and say what he's supposed to say and do it in the right way. The qualifications that are given in the Bible match the work that needs to be done. The work that needs to be done as it comes to shepherding and feeding and protecting and moving and confronting enemies and nurturing people. A man who serves as a shepherd will need all of these qualities. He'll never possess all of them perfectly. Hopefully I've already laid the foundation for what I'll say about that more this evening. Never possess all of these perfectly. But he, is, he realizes their value and importance and he is diligently at work uh, becoming more successful in all of these. So let me close with this really important list. You've got to be listening now. This really important list. What do the following people have in common? Barnabas, Timothy, Stephen, Silas, Apollos, Ananias, Mary, Martha, Lazarus, and Phoebe. What do they all have in common? Not one of them was ever an elder. Not one of them. But you read what the Bible has to say about these people? And they were as vital to the kingdom of God as every shepherd was. Everybody has a place. Everybody has work to do, vital work to do in the kingdom of God. And all these people that I mentioned realized that. Jesus loved these people. He gave them gifts to serve in various ways. Not all of them... Not all Christians are supposed to be elders. But all Christians are supposed to be working, invested members of the body of Christ. None sitting on the sidelines. 
None looking jealously at what they think somebody else can do or feeling sorry for themselves and sitting on their hands. None of that. So we want to start this subject the right way by thinking about the mind of a, of, a, of a Christian and certainly the mind of an elder and then to understand the work that an elder is to do. And I hope we've, we've started in a right way that will hopefully move us where we ought to be. God helps us to, he keeps it close to us that we're needing the mercy and the grace and the forgiveness of God. We came out of sin to know that, and we will never in our lives as Christians get very far away. Uh, we'll not ever get away from our need for the mercy and the grace and love of God. Hold us on, hold, hold us steady, keep us going, take us where we ought to be, help us to be who we ought to be. Until we draw our last breath, we will need Christ as much then as when we begin this journey. This morning, if you're here as a child of God, but you've not been living as you ought to be, I hope you'll, your, your want to, your want to will be stirred. And that there'll be nothing that will hinder you from repenting of sin, pushing aside the, the, the hindrances that have been before you, and resolving that from this day forward, with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, you're going to serve the Lord. If you've never become a Christian and you've never begun that journey and have known the joy of forgiveness and the hope of salvation in Jesus Christ, we hope that you'll obey the Lord this morning. With faith in Him, be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Rise to walk, seeking things that are above. Join with others who are just like you and help each other go to heaven. May God help us to respond to His gospel and to the opportunity He's given us this morning while we stand to sing this invitation song.